Good morning. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll open up to Galatians chapter 4 with me. And as you're turning there, uh, as we like to do most weeks here at Living Hope, before we get to the Word, I want to brag on Jesus. And so um, several weeks ago, as we mentioned, we did the Bag Hunger Challenge with um, over 100 churches here in central Ohio to supply canned goods and non-perishable items to Stowe Mission. And of all the churches that participated, Living Hope, uh, we won the contest. It's not what it's about, but it's a little bit what it's about, all right? <laughs> So uh, of all the churches we won, and Pastor Joe went and picked up our plaque this week, and so just kind of a cool way to commemorate this past year what Jesus allowed us to be a part of and to thank you for your generosity that's just significant. Um, As we say a lot around here and been saying more frequently, we may be a dot on a map, but God can certainly do a lot with a dot, that's for sure. Um, The other thing I wanted to let you know, which is pretty significant in, in the life of our church. Uh, This past week, one of our pastoral interns, Scott Conover, many of you know Scott or you've met Scott before, hopefully. Um, Scott, several months ago, reached out to all of the schools, middle school and up, and the entire Olentangy School District. That's several schools. Reached out to every principal, and he reached out to every assistant principal in all of those schools. So you're talking several dozen people that make that up. And he asked one question, what can Living Hope do to help you? What do you need from us? Got a few responses back, but one of the main ones was from a middle school in town that says, we want to start an FCA for our middle school students uh, here at a local school just up the street here from the church. And uh, by God's grace, this past Friday, Scott went and started a brand new FCA at a middle school here in the Olentangy School District, and he had eight students at his very first FCA event. So we believe God's just going to continue to multiply that. And uh, just awesome, the things that God is allowing us to be a part of. Um, So if you see Scott, give him a fist bump. And second to that, um, if you have a passion for student ministry in some capacity, and you would like to participate and be involved in the FCA, you are certainly allowed to do that. We just have to get you background checked, and you can go with Scott on Fridays and participate and encourage uh, him and encourage those students. You can teach the Bible, uh, help them with games, a whole bunch of stuff that you can do to be part of FCA, even beyond the walls of Living Hope Columbus, all right? Well, in Galatians chapter 4, we're continuing our series, God's Space, uh, week number 13, that we've been in this book, and we're plowing through verse by verse, just uncovering and unpacking what the Lord wants to teach us through this such a significant letter that Paul wrote to this church. So if you'll stand with me in honor of greeting God's Word, Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 8 through 11. And Paul says this to the Galatians and to us today. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You're observing special days, months, seasons, and years. In verse 11, Paul says, I am fearful for you, that perhaps my labor, Paul says that word labor there, we'll talk about this in a few moments, means um, I've literally worked to the point of exhaustion for you, Galatians. He says, I'm fearful for you that, that my labor to the point of exhaustion has been wasted. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word, for our time in your word today. God, would you speak as you do every week? Would you mold and shape our hearts into the image and likeness of Jesus like you do every week? And God, would you give us the ears we need to hear from you, hearts, God, soft and receptive hearts, Lord, not to tune out your spirit, but God, to be open, willing, and ready to hear from you this morning. And hands and feet, God, to live out these truths as we walk with the Lord the other six days of our week. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start today by asking a very simple question that will serve as kind of a platform for these three verses 
in Galatians, and it's going to seem very simplistic, and that's on purpose. And it's amazing to me how sometimes in the Christian faith we can overlook the simplistic, and ultimately when we overlook the simplistic, we find out we're not obedient to the simplistic things. In search of deeper things, we miss the simple often. And so the simple question is this, why would you pay for what has already been purchased for you? Let me say that again, and if you want to write that down, you're welcome to. Why would you pay for what has already been purchased for you? Just last weekend here at church, my birthday was a few weeks ago. If you forgot, that's okay. I, I'm not that upset. I'm just kidding. I hate my birthday if you didn't know that. But just a few weeks ago for my birthday, my sweet friends Carla and Francisco brought me this this present on my birthday. And so they brought it for me last week. And so got me a, a baseball hat. They got me this, this T-shirt, Route 66 T-shirt. And the best part of this gift is the guacamole maker. So if you need guacamole, I'm your guy. All right? I'm super excited, actually, to use this. But they gave me this gift on my birthday. And it was, like, I mean, just super sweet. I was so thankful that they gave this to me. But again, not to be overly simplistic with this, but I want you just to think about this for a moment. When they handed that gift to me and I looked inside and I was grateful and thankful and looked at what these gifts were and I was, I was just processing and just overwhelmed with joy that they would even consider me on my birthday. You know what I didn't do in that moment? And just stick with me. I didn't pull out my wallet in that moment and try to bring out a 20 and a 10 and hand it to them and go, man, thank you so much for this gift. Let me pay you for it. Why don't we do that? Because that's not logical and it doesn't make sense. Why would you pay for what has already been purchased for you? You wouldn't do that. If something has been purchased for you as a free gift, you don't, you don't seek to pay for that very thing. It doesn't make sense. Yet as we approach these verses in Galatians today, that's the very idea that Paul begins to confront in this passage. Why pay for something that has already been purchased for you? If salvation is found in Jesus and my right standing with God is completely dependent upon Him, it's a free gift offered to anyone and everyone who would believe, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Once it's received, it's mine. It's a free gift offered by Jesus to me. It makes me completely right with God. Why do we sometimes still seek to pay back God for what has freely been given to us? Why do we do that? Think about this. And our, our religious efforts sometimes, we think that the more good things we do for God, that somehow, somehow that's going to appease Him a little bit more. That if I do a, a few more religious things, that God's going to be a little happier for, with me. That maybe if I, I do some religious things that I can add to what Jesus has already done to save me, that, that maybe if I do a few more religious things, a few more good things, that maybe God is going to love me just a little bit more. So it sounds crazy but we all do it. In the Galatians, that's exactly what Paul is confronting them on in these three simple verses. Why do we seek sometimes to pay for what God has already paid for? Why do we think somehow we can make God more happy with us and satisfied with us than He currently is in Jesus? You can't. It's impossible. Salvation is a free gift from God to us. Jesus completely satisfied the wrath of God. In this moment, God will never love you more than he currently does. Why? Because of Jesus. And that's what Paul reminds the Galatians. Look here in Acts chapter 4, and if you want to, turn back to Acts chapter 14 and 15. We're going to be there in just a moment. If you remember in this letter, the Galatians were relatively new followers of Jesus, 
Previous to them coming to faith in Jesus, it was very likely that they were participants in pagan religions, likely in some capacity participants in mythological religions. If you remember in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas were sent from the church in Antioch to the region of Galatia. It was made up of multiple different villages and towns in that area. They go into all of these different areas. They preach the gospel. People come to faith in Jesus. Churches were started. Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch reporting God's activity, what he was doing among the Gentiles. And then this group of false teachers show up there in Galatia known as the Judaizers. What did the Judaizers do? They said salvation is found in Jesus, but not only that, you have to uphold Mosaic law and tradition. If you want to be saved, you got to be right with God. It's faith in Jesus plus something. Jesus plus something. They were saying you have to follow Jesus plus if you're a male, be circumcised. You have to follow Jesus plus adhere to the Mosaic law. Jesus was not sufficient for salvation in their eyes. Instead, if you wanted God to really be satisfied with you, there was more required of you personally. Remind us of this simple truth, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There's no name under heaven by which we can be saved except Jesus. Nothing more added to our salvation. Can I remind us this morning that if you think you can do something to earn your salvation, you do not understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. Jesus fully satisfied the wrath of God on my, on our behalf to God. But what was happening with the Galatians is they were participants in paganism these mythological religions, they had found freedom in Christ, but then bound themselves to legalism. They were chained to paganism and simply exchanged it for new chains. It was about paganism and now it was about legalism. We have to make God happy with us by the religious efforts that we participate in. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Religious slavery is not what Jesus has called you to. Instead, you're to walk in, in freedom. And so the question I want to help bring clarity to that Paul brings clarity to here in verses 8 through 11 is this. How do we walk in that freedom? If I've truly given my life to Jesus, what does it look like to actually walk in Him? Three principles that I want you to take notes on today. Type them in your phone, whatever works for you. First off, you have to remember to leave the former life. That's verse 8 of this passage. Paul says, in the past, you didn't know God. You were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. What's Paul talking about with this church? Acts chapter 14, as Paul and Barnabas arrive in the region of Galatia on that mission trip, they arrive in this one region called Iconium. They go in, they preach the gospel, people get saved. They then go from Iconium to a place called Lystra, and through the power of the Spirit, Acts chapter 14 says a guy who was lame from birth ends up being able to walk. But look at what happens in Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 11. They see this man healed by the power of Jesus, the power of the Spirit of God, and it says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, yeah, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Again, these people are missing it. The Galatians were missing it. Verse 12, Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowd to offer sacrifices to them. Paul and Barnabas, under the power of the Spirit, healed this man who was lame from birth. And what do the Galatians do? Zeus is here. Hermes is here. The mythological gods have left Olympus and they've come to dwell among us. What does that show us about the Galatians? They were pagans. They were pagans chained to mythological religions. 
Paul says in verse 8 of Galatians 4, enslaved to things that are not God. Why? Because Jesus is the only God. I don't care what kind of statue you have. I don't care what kind of belief system you may have. It doesn't matter where you worship. Jesus is God. And Paul makes this profound statement in verse 8. Look at that in your Bible. He says, in the past, you didn't know God. Why? Because they were bound to paganism. Again, clarity for radio's sake. If you're in this room, hopefully you know this. Radio's sake, let's bring a little bit of clarity here. There's not multiple paths to God. On the same page there? There's not multiple ways for us to get to God. You're not going to figure it out on your own. Jesus is the way to God, period. John 14, verse 6. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And Paul's addressing that today, but let's make sure we understand this. My gosh, the lines on this are so blurred in our culture today, friends. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. There's not multiple ways to him. I don't care how devout someone is to the religious practice. It doesn't matter. Jesus is the only way. And here's why this matters. This is so important. We have to be really cautious here. Um, sometimes when we say that, we, we think of religions outside of Christianity. I want to speak to this for a moment for the fact that we live, dwell, work, breathe, and play in a, quote, Christian nation. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here, but I'm going to tread confidently on this at the same time. We have way too many people in our Western culture, listen to me, I want to read this verbatim here, who claim knowledge of God and some Christian affiliation, but they don't know Jesus. There's a difference. Are we on the same page with that? You can know about God and not know God. We may... (laughs) Careful, Aaron. There's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Got that? I can know about something mentally, but if the mental thing that I know doesn't transfer 18 inches south to my heart, it makes no difference. We got way too many things in our culture that are claiming this title of Christian because they're, they know God. It's not, it's not the same. It's the difference between knowing about God and knowing him intimately and personally. Let me make this so simple. Again, I like simplistic illustrations. If I ask you this morning if you know Dwayne Johnson, The Rock... P.S. If anybody does, let me know. That would be really amazing. Here's the thing. Think about this. Just that simple question. If you know The Rock. This is fresh on my mind because I watched one of his movies last week. If you know The Rock, you'd, you'd probably say, well, like not exactly, but like I, I, I know um, a lot about him. If, if you saw The Rock in public, you would probably recognize him because you've seen him before and he's a giant, huge human. If you saw The Rock in public, uh, you would probably look at him and you would do his famous eyebrow thing. You know, I can do it, kind of. Right? You'd raise your eyebrow up at him because that's what he, you know that about The Rock. I'd say, well, what's The Rock's famous catchphrase? Do you smell? <laughs> if you didn't watch WWE, you don't know that. All right? <laughs> Maybe you've seen one of The Rock's movies. You, you might know a lot about The Rock, but you don't know him. You may know a lot about someone, but you don't know him. Friends, listen, and this is where Paul's getting to the heart of with the Galatians here. And really, let's, let's take this personal application for us. I believe in the Western culture, there's many well-intentioned people that know a lot about our God, but they don't know him. They know a lot about our God, but they don't know our Jesus. And we have exchanged knowledge of the divine as a cheap substitute for knowing Jesus. It's not the same. 
Jesus is the only one where we find salvation. And I don't care how much you know about God. If you don't know intimately and personally Jesus, you don't know God. And on the authority of God's word in verse 8 of Galatians 4, in fact, you're actually still enslaved to things that are not God, that are not God's. Because we don't know Jesus, we're still enslaved to things that are not God's. And we see this all the time, people enslaved to money, to relationships, to power, to career, to self-gratification, to their own opinion, enslaved to all of these things. And then they pull God out when it's convenient for them. And they put him on this little pedestal. And then when they don't need him, he goes back in their pocket. Can't pretend to just know God when we're enslaved by the elemental forces of the world. That's what Paul wants us to see. Last question associated with this that the Lord asked me today or this past week. If your former life before Jesus doesn't look much different than your life now with Jesus, can I just tell us this morning, you probably don't know Jesus. When Jesus shows up, things change. I heard one preacher say years ago, when Jesus shows up, there goes the neighborhood kind of a thing. Jesus doesn't come and make things the same. When he shows up, things are different. If Jesus dwells in you, Jesus comes out of you. Jesus cleans up the muck and the mess, the darkness, the grief and the sin and replaces it with his goodness and righteousness. If Jesus has shown up, things are different. Yet if you look at your life and you're still enslaved to all of those other things, you have to ask yourself the question based on Galatians 4 verse 8, do I really know God? Because if not, I might have head knowledge, but no heart knowledge that's made its way to transformation in my life. Point number two, we have to live in the present life. You see, from verses eight to nine, a significant transition occurs here in Paul's letter to the Galatians. In Paul's letter to the Galatians right there, there's two simple words that make this huge transition. What does he say? But now. He was talking in verse eight about their former life, but he says in verse nine, but now what happened? You know God. It's not just knowing about God, it's intimate knowledge of Him more and more deeply knowing who the God of the universe is through the person of Jesus Christ. Remember in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, God is our Father to be respected, but He's also Abba. That means that He's also a God that is to be known intimately and personally. It's what Jesus' followers are, are called to. But then Paul makes this other distinction in verse 9, and I love this here. He doesn't only say, but now since you know God, intimate personal knowledge, but this is significant too. Look at the next phrase. Or rather, Paul clarifies for us, you've become known by God. That's so significant for us to understand today. Friends, not only do you have the opportunity to know the God of the universe, but the God of the universe wants to intimately know you. It's what separates us from every other religious system in the world. It's not a one-sided relationship. No, no, no. As we get to know God, He begins to get to know us more and more intimately and deeply. And it's a relationship with Him. Say, Aaron, does that really matter? Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, when judgment of one day comes for us all. Verse 21 says that someday we're going to see folks standing before the throne of Jesus. And they'll say these words, Lord, Lord. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, there's going to be people standing there going, Lord, Lord, trying to claim knowledge of God. Jesus says, no, 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 it's only those who do the will of my Father that get to enter into heaven. Why? Because they wanted a one-sided relationship. They wanted knowledge of God, but not Him knowing them back. They didn't want the intimate, personal relationship with God. And what happens in verse 22? On that day, people are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons and do many miracles? Listen, you can do religious things for Jesus that don't transfer to an intimate, personal relationship with Him. 
Then Jesus looks at him and says, I didn't know you. Yes, they knew about him, but he didn't know them. And what's Jesus say? Depart from me, you lawbreakers, into an eternity separated from me. When you put your faith in Jesus and you've truly repented of sin, God knows you and you know your God. It's the paradox that makes Christianity so unique. It's not simply us trying to appease a religious figure up in the sky, but the religious figure came down for us to intimately know us personally. We can know God and He can know us. That's so incredible. Don't exchange the the sins of your paganism for chains of legalism. No, know your God intimately and personally. Be satisfied in your relationship with Jesus. Rest in it and believe in it. Goodness, I love that verse. End of verse 9. Paul goes on to say, How can you turn back to weak and worthless elements? Do you still want to be enslaved to those things all over again? What's the reminder for the Galatians and us? Nothing can satisfy God except Jesus. Nothing can satisfy your heart's desire and the void inside of you except Jesus. Nothing will make God love you more except Jesus. The Galatians wanted to do these religious things to try to make God a little bit happier. And Paul says, stop it. Those are worthless elements of the world. Jesus is sufficient for everything that you need. Rest in him and live with him. Religion will get you nowhere. Here's the very last one. Paul says we got to learn to love the future life. This is heaven, verses 10 and 11. My wife and I, last week, we were driving in the car together. I can remember when we were driving that her phone beeped and it was an email and she opened the phone up and she read the email to me. It was frustrating, just a situation that we're having to deal with in our life. And we reacted for a minute, exchanged some words about what we read in that email. And my, my sweet wife, I'm telling you, i got just an amazing wife. She looked at me in that moment, and she said a phrase that we say often in our house, but one that just resonated deeply with me in that moment, because I was just so frustrated with the world, right? Just so frustrated with things going on around me. And she said, Aaron, if Jesus decided to come back literally like right in this moment, I'd be okay with that. There's not something I need to go do. There's not something I want to see. There's not a place I need to go visit. Like right now, like I'm so fully satisfied in Jesus that although the world around me is frustrating, if he wanted to come back right now, I would be totally okay with that. What's the truth for us there, friends? If we've been radically saved by Jesus, unashamedly live for him, knowing and being known by our God, be fully satisfied in Christ. Like, like just be fully satisfied in Jesus. Completely unbind yourself from the elemental things of this world. But look at what Paul goes on to say here in verse 10, and that's all going to make sense here in just a second. In these last two verses of Galatians chapter 4 that we're looking at today, you see Paul continue to address these religious efforts. Again, they're trying to score points with God. And he says in verse 10, he says, you're observing special days, months, seasons, and years. What's he talking about? Well, the Galatians has adopted the practice of observing Jewish religious festivals, seasons, and feasts. Again, because they believed that the more religious things I participated in, the more I could impress God, the more satisfied he would be in me. How does this transfer to us now, New Testament Christians? What do we do? And if you've never done this, man, good for you. I I often do this if I'm not cautious. How often do I think to myself, well, I have to get up and I have to go to church this week because if I do that, God's going to be more pleased with me personally. That's not true. I have to get up tomorrow and I have to read my Bible because if I don't, God's going to be mad at me. That's not true. I I better go to church this Easter. I got to get my once a year Easter fix in because if I do that, then the God of the universe is going to be fully pleased with me. I didn't pray this morning. Man, God's probably frustrated with me 
today. Say it again. God is not impressed with our religious efforts. God is not in heaven going, well, daggone it, Joe did not pray today. How dare he? You know what he does do? He looks down at Joe and he sees Jesus. And because he sees Jesus, he's fully satisfied with Pastor Joe completely for all eternity. There's nothing we can do, Paul says, to impress God. So why do we do religious things? Because Paul in Colossians 2 actually goes on to say that he doesn't condemn anyone for participating in religious activity. Why do we do it? We do not participate in religious activity to gain relationship. We do it because it comes from relationship. I don't pray to somehow make God happy with me. I pray because I know God is happy with me. I don't come and participate in the corporate gathering of the local church because somehow I think that impresses God. No, no, no. I've been lavished with the abundant grace of God, and I want to come corporately and worship Him with other believers who have experienced the very same thing. Think of it this way. My sweet wife, when we were dating, you know what I would often do? I would buy her flowers. Why? Because I wanted to woo her into loving me. So I would do things for her to try to woo her to love me more. It worked. Yes. God doesn't work that way. You know what I do now because I've, I've entered into a covenant with my wife on June 6, 2011, where I stood before family, friends, and a pastor, and God, and I said, I choose to love this woman as long as I have breath in my lungs sacrificially for the rest of my life. I still get her flowers. But it's not because I'm trying to gain relationship with her. It's because I already have a relationship with her. And I want to show her that I do love her. I'm not trying to earn something from her. It's simply because I love her that I do those things. Religion is the same way. It's not something that we need to run from. Listen, you run from it when you think it's going to appease God. You participate in it when you know Jesus has already appeased God on your behalf and you want to worship God from that appeasement. You want to worship God from the grace that you've been shown. Friends, listen, you're free in Christ. You don't have to do any kind of religious effort, but should we? Yeah, we should pray. We should read the scriptures. We should serve. We should worship. We should do all of those things. Why? Because it flows from a relationship with Jesus. It overflows from me and it says, God, I want to do these to worship you. I know Jesus has satisfied you completely and I don't do them for that reason. I want to show you how much I love you because of how much you've loved me. Friends, don't reject God's grace in your life for human performance. Don't do anything to try to earn your salvation. Don't try to gain God's favor. Live in the present life with your Jesus, looking forward to heaven. I can remember one person said, I want to walk so close with Jesus in the present life that when I close my eyes in death, it takes me a few seconds to realize that I've arrived in heaven. Because I was so close with Jesus on this earth that when I step foot into eternity, it's going to feel pretty much the same with him. I want to walk that close with my Jesus. Let's close with this story. We asked that original question, why would you pay for what's already been purchased for you? You wouldn't. Jesus has given his life for you. Give your whole self to him. That's such an important concept. No religious activity should ever steal your affection from God. But I read this story, and I've never heard this until this week, of the origin of the song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. I love that song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. With most hymns, you can trace it back to some author. With this hymn, it actually is thought to be traced back to a story. 
Let me tell you this quick story as we begin to close. Said 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. You can look that up in your own time. And from that revival, some missionaries spread to northeast India where they went to share the gospel. They went into a specific region there where there were hundreds of primitive tribes, aggressive people, cannibals, headhunters of all capacities. But these missionaries, these Baptist missionaries, went there spreading this message of hope that's found only in Jesus. Righteousness with God found only in Jesus. As with many of these missionary stories, especially in the past, you read they were not necessarily welcomed by the tribe's people, which we understand. These missionaries went in, they preached the gospel, and in in their preaching, they did successfully convert one man, one wife, and two sons, four people total, before they were driven out from the village. It's said in this story that this man's newfound faith was very contagious, and many of the villagers in that village were curious about what he was teaching about Christianity now. Again, all he knew was Jesus saves, and i got to tell people, but he was doing it. And the story goes that he was called into the chief's office, office, his hut, whatever you would call it. He was called into the hut of this chief, and the chief told him, he said, look, We don't believe what those missionaries came and told us. You renounce this now and stop spreading these lies throughout our village. And the story goes that moved by the Holy Spirit in that moment, that that newly converted believer from that tribe said these words, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The, The chief then, enraged at this man's response, actually had two of his Guys pulled out their bow and arrow and he shot his two sons dead on the spot. True story. As his two sons lay there dead on the floor, the man now standing there with his wife at his side, the chief said, this is your last chance or I'm killing your wife too. Will you choose in this moment to leave this Jesus that you're claiming faith in now? If you don't, I'll kill your wife too. And the story goes that in that moment, you've probably heard this line of the song, the man under the Holy Spirit's inspiration in that moment said, though none go with me, I still will follow. The man took his bow and killed his wife on the spot. Story goes that they let that man go and not shortly after that because of the strength of that man's faith that actually you can trace this stuff back, that that chief gave his life to Jesus and that multiple people throughout that village ended up becoming followers of Christ as a result of that one's man faith. One, one man who gave everything to follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus gave everything for him. Friends, don't exchange the chains of paganism that you've been set free from when Jesus gave his life for you and exchange them for chains of legalism. No, no, no. Jesus breaks the chains and now we walk in the freedom that he offers us intimately and closely and personally with our God. That's how we were meant to live. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. God, what a privilege it is to share your word each week. And God, I pray now as we respond to your word through singing, through worship, God, we give you the praise that you deserve. Father, I pray that you would continue to mold and shape in our hearts the intentionality that we need in walking with Jesus from the overflow of a relationship with him is why we do what we do. And I pray that you'd find us faithful. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.